Miami Hurricanes coming off a 5-7 and seven season. We hope it's better next year. What do the numbers say about the returning Canes players? You are Locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Alex Dono, your host. I'm a University of Miami alumnus, longtime South Florida sports radio vet and contributor for allhurricanes.com. And thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today on this Friday. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts, available free on YouTube. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. I got my crew in here. I got John Garcia. Uh, locked on sports recruiting expert, and um, I, it's a guilty pleasure of mine after every game to check the PFF grades, and we love talking about them on the show. So we have pro football focused college football analyst Max Chadwick with us, and I love Max how your Twitter handle is Chad Maxwick, which is like a huge brain teaser. But Max, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, it's confused. You guys aren't the first one confused by that. Maybe I'll change it in the future. But that was my nickname all throughout uh, high school and stuff. So I, I thought it'd be a funny, you know, Twitter handle because back then everyone knew me. But now, you know, meeting awesome guys like you, everyone's kind of getting confused by the Twitter handle and calling me Chad in some interviews. So I appreciate you <laughs> getting my name right. Uh, but that is completely on me, honestly. So I don't blame anyone who gets my name wrong. <laughs> Well, I, I find that hilarious that people may go through a whole conversation like, Chad, what do you think about this? Uh, I it's my nickname. So I'm like, oh, you like you, I, I treat you like a high school friend of mine. But yeah, it's just now it's like a little weird. I'm like, oh, maybe I maybe I, I'm, you know, deceiving people a little bit. John Garcia, how you doing on this fine Friday afternoon? I'm doing well, doing well. Looking forward to the weekend. And, and as always, uh, never a dull moment uh, around the University of Miami. So plenty to get into. Certainly not. And Max, I know that. Um, something that Miami Hurricanes fans have been buzzing about the last few days when it comes to returning Canes players in 2023. And maybe you can explain how Pro Football Focus came up with this. Uh, so PFF released a, a list of, of the top five returning college football safeties. I don't think anyone was surprised to see Cam Kinchins come in in the top five at number two because he stellar last year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, James Williams, uh, to, to the naked eye, James Williams has uh, been very uneven uh, the last couple of years at Miami, and he actually made the top five at number four. Uh, explain how that came about. Yeah, Kinchins, truthfully, I mean, I, I felt there are a lot of Miami fans that got mad at me for not putting him number one, and I completely understand that. You know, he was PFF's highest graded safety last year. Um, he obviously was unbelievable in terms of getting, you know, the most interceptions as well. Um, but Kalen Bullock was a guy who played really well for two years. Uh, and that, that one was really tough. So if you're mad at me for putting Kinchins number two, I don't blame you. I'm mad at myself, honestly, a little bit. But that, that was probably the toughest one. Williams at four. It's always interesting when I rank a guy highly and, a, and you know, fans come at me because I ranked him too high. You, you yeah. Around. And now that, that was interesting when Miami fans were like, really? Like James Williams four? I will say, first off, after the top three safeties, it's it's a mosh posh. You know, this is this is probably the most wide open position. This is by far the hardest of, of any of the positional rankings I had to do because – there were so many safeties that left for the NFL draft or graduated, and there really weren't that many like elite safeties, whereas other positions like offensive tackle, there's a ton of guys, wide receiver, a ton of guys, running back like that. 
Safety was not, you know, cornerback was another really deep one, but safety was not one of those. So James Williams is a guy that, you know, his coverage grade has consistently been really good. But the main thing that a lot of people have pointed out, and I agree with them, run defense has been not great for two years now, you know, really, and which is surprising when you see a six foot five safety, which is a freak of nature to begin with 224 pounds. And he's not a very good run defender. He's actually really good in coverage. So this is kind of a projection more because I think James Williams would be a really good uh, prospect in the 2024 draft alongside Kitchens. And he's showed really good uh, numbers in coverage as well. But uh, you see the missed tackles and you see all that and you, and you say, how is he a top five safety? And I agree with you that that is an issue. But I think, you know, he alongside Kitchens, that's that's the best safety duo. And also I think James Williams, the potential that he has is probably better than any other safety on this list, honestly, with the, with the freakish tools that he has too. Well, and John, you know, you you covered uh, James in high school, so I'm sure you can speak to that potential. I, I think that a lot of people were hoping this last season, and I certainly hope it again next year that 2023 can be the year that he puts everything together. Yeah, you know, he moved around a ton uh, in high school, not only different high schools, but positionally, um, he was playing corner at times. He was at the line of scrimmage a ton, naturally with that type of, of size, which you understand at the prep level. And uh, that's where I wanted to go with it, Max. How much projection goes into kind of the returning player uh, concept that you guys roll out at PFF? Because obviously there's only so much you can go off of. How much are you just kind of banking on, hey, all things even, 6'5", 220, freak of nature? We'll, we'll bank on that, much like we'll see when we start talking about him uh, at the NFL level one day. Yeah, that see, that's – that was what I struggled with. And I, I actually put out a mock draft of everyone was eligible. And that was a lot of projection. Um, yeah. This, I, I really tried to say just straight up going into next year, who's the best. Now, of course, you know, guys that, you know, have been like are playing at the same level as a redshirt senior versus a guy who's as good as him as a true sophomore. Usually I would side with the true sophomore there. So James Williams is a guy that I, I put above some older guys. Um, who have played who have been maybe more well-rounded than him like Rod Moore from Michigan is a guy that I really like who's a really well-rounded safety James Williams I don't think is a really well-rounded safety I think he's really good in coverage and obviously he's a former five-star recruit um, and I'm kind of projecting you know his coverage has always been really good I'm not, I'm not really too worried about that but it's more the run defense and the missed tackles that I'm worried about but honestly the, the coverage is up there with the best of the best in my opinion and I think with the with those tools as well and with him being potentially a really maybe a first round pick in next year's draft that's kind of what pushed him so high in this list is that I think he could become a lot better than what he's shown and he's already shown really good signs and coverage so far so another Miami defensive player that I think underperformed a little bit last year and part of it was I don't think he was given enough snaps and that's yeah. Leonard Taylor at defensive tackle. Uh, do, do you agree with that assessment and how do you project Leonard Taylor heading into next year? So actually, before I realized he didn't really have that many snaps, I had Leonard Taylor, I believe, second on that list. Uh, I originally had him like number two. And then I eventually when I you know went through all of the plays, and I was like, oh, we didn't play that much. That's when I bumped him down to five. But, you know, you're talking about tools. I mean, he was a former top 10 recruit. And in terms of the percentages, he was up there with the best pass rushers in college football at the defensive tackle position. He had a 19.5% pressure rate, uh, 16 or 19, I'm sorry, 19.5% pass rush win rate, 16.2% uh, pressure rate. Only Kalijah Cansey, the Pittsburgh D tackle, could be a first-round pick. Only he had better rates at both those than Leonard Taylor last year among Power 5 interior defensive linemen. So 
I think Leonard Taylor could be the number one D tackle in the 2024 draft. And I think he's just scratching the surface right now. And in terms of how efficient he was, he was up there with the best pass rushers in the country. It's just that he didn't have enough snaps for me to put him as high as say number two on this list where I originally had him is just because he didn't see enough playing time. But in terms of how good he was when he was on the field, he was up there with, with the best D tackles in the country. What about you, John? Anything else you want to add on LT and, and how might he be affected by, you know, having some some new partners there on the defensive line? Because, you know, he and Daryl Jackson were on the field a lot together last year. And, you know, Daryl is now a Florida State Seminole. <laughs> yeah, uh, the times we live in are uh, amazing. But, yeah, I was I was curious about that, too. You know, um, it, it, are you discounted when you're more uh, of, a, of an occasional or rotational player versus a guy who's, you know, out there for the majority of the snaps. I know certain programs want to rotate D linemen specifically more, but I didn't know if that was uh, how how much weight that carried in, in PFF grading, which is obviously uh, pretty intricate. Yeah, so the PFF grading doesn't really care about um, it, it. The PFF grading is straight up how good are you when you're on the field. And that's why it could be a little misleading when you see Leonard Taylor up there with the, with all the grade and then all of a sudden, you know, he has – 200, 300 fewer snaps than other guys, which is why he ended up at number five on this list. Uh, because if you're going straight by grading, I mean, Drazon Newton, who I think is easily the best D tackle in the country from Illinois, uh, after him, you can make a case for Leonard Taylor. But it was because, you know, he wasn't on the field as much as some of the other guys. And we actually have a wins above average metric um, that tries to uh, kind of like the war in baseball, tries to like figure out how valuable a guy is. So when you don't play that much, even though you're grading high, you're not going to be as valuable. And and he was a little bit lower on that, too. So, yeah, I wanted to put him in the top five because I think the potential, like James Williams, is unbelievable. Uh, but you just haven't seen him every single play like some of these other guys have been. So his percentage numbers, his efficiency numbers are, are better than basically everyone on this list. But it's just that he hasn't you know, been on the field for every single play like a lot of these other guys were. So, you know, last player I want to get your take on. It's Max Chadwick from Pro Football Focus joins us here on Locked on Canes. Tyler Van Dyke, uh, it's, you know, it, he, he's become very polarizing. I mean, he had a fantastic redshirt freshman year in 2021. You know, he looked like an absolute stud in Rhett Lashley's offense. And then, you know, Josh Gaddis came in and TVD looked a little bit like a deer in the headlights early on. And then when it finally looked like he was finding some rhythm, then he got injured. So, you know, never really TVD never really got off the runway next year. Uh, what are you expecting from Tyler and what did the numbers say about Tyler heading into 2023? Yeah, you know, that was a very disappointing year for sure. I, you know, he didn't really grade that well for PFF. And he was a guy that going into the year, many thought he could have been a top 15, maybe even a top 10 pick because you see those tools at 6'4", 224. He's got a cannon of a right arm. Uh, I really, really like Tyler Van Dyke heading into the year, but he just didn't show enough. He had 13 big-time throws this year, 11 turnover-worthy plays. That's way too close together, honestly, compared to last year when he had 25 and 12 uh, big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. So uh, he's a guy that I think has got to take care of the ball a little bit better and then also show off that arm a little bit more. We just didn't really get to see him do it that much. Uh, at Miami this year so I'm not completely throwing him out I'm not, I'm not saying you know he he can't come back and, and be a top guy but you of course have to uh, you know take it with a grain of salt and say hey maybe he's not the 
top 10, top 15 pick that we thought he could be heading into this year. But we'll see, man. I mean, it is a pretty wide open quarterback class next year after Drake May and Caleb Williams. Um, so I, I think after that, Quinn Ewers hasn't really shown much either. So maybe Tyler Van Dyke, he's got all the tools in the world. Miami's a very toolsy team. Uh, basically is one of the gist I'm getting for that right now. But he's a guy that I think has all the tools that could be potentially uh, a, a day one or day two pick in the 2024 draft. Wow. Well, listen, I, I can't tell you enough uh, how much I appreciate your time. And we got to do this again, especially with spring football around the corner. There's more players I'd like to get your take on. So make sure uh, you guys check out Max's work, Pro Football Focus. Uh, follow him on Twitter at not Max Chadwick, but at Chad <laughs> underscore Maxwick. Uh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate you. Great Thanks. stuff there from Max. And uh, got to get a, a couple of uh, recruiting notes uh, in here with John when we come back because we got Junior Day coming up at the University of Miami. So, man, keep it locked right here to Locked on Canes. And, folks, FanDuel Sportsbook, hopefully you're listening to this in time uh, for the Miami Heat game coming up later. Heat are one-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road uh, at the Milwaukee Bucks. We're past now the midway point of the NBA season. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drain. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So do not miss this chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. John Garcia Jr. Uh, with us here on Locked on Canes. Now, John, I mean, th th that was really illuminating stuff there uh, from Max. And, you know, when we talk about quarterbacks, quarterback recruits has been a big topic down here in Miami. And, uh, I think the guy who probably fits the Shannon Dawson offense best is Aaron Noland in the class of 2024. We've spoken about him at length before you and me, John. And Noland was going to visit March 4th on junior day, but there's going to be like 40, 45 kids here uh, for that. He's moved his visit back to, I think, March 23rd and 24th. I love that, John, because I imagine he's going to get a lot more kind of one-on-one time with coaches. Yeah, and obviously, you know, a new reshuffled staff in town led by Shannon Dawson, the new offensive coordinator, and, and that's really what it's going to be about for him. It looks like Miami's about to get a run of their top both local and national targets at quarterback on campus. So I think Dawson's going to be able to really dig into each of them, and, and obviously Nolan comes with uh, the, the most notoriety at this point, state champion, blue chip, top 100 guy, uh, 4,000 passing yards. My goodness, at the high school level in 2022, uh, rightfully so. Um, and, but also along with that, uh, heavy contenders uh, for, for Prentice. Uh, Ohio State is starting to pick up momentum with him. Texas A&M is going to get him on campus for the third time um, you know, in March as well. So he's got a busy slate, Miami smack dab in the middle of it, but this isn't his first rodeo in, in Coral Gables either. So it really, in my opinion, will be about Shannon Dawson. Cause he already said, and, and uh, I saw this quote today, he already said, coach Cristobal has got the best head coach relationship with him right now. Uh, so that's huge. Obviously Mario picked up a lot of the slack throughout these, these changes we've seen on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so that part looks like it worked. 
So now I think the, the ball is in the court of, of uh, Coach Dawson, and that will be fascinating, right? The two have overlapped before uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but it'll be very specific and, and orange and green this time around, and that'll be important uh, for Miami because by all indication, Alex, he wants to – Don uh, uh, Nolan here wants to make these visits and then start to really – narrow things down um and he's never really done that he doesn't have the list of top schools or anything like that so it's kind of wide open clemson's in there is arkansas a player this this thing has had a lot of fluctuation around it so if miami can at least solidify itself as a true contender uh you you put yourself in position for an official visit uh before a final decision comes in and that's obviously where only five teams will, will have an opportunity with Nolan going forward. So a lot on Miami uh, for this trip, but but I agree with you. Pushing it back to where it's more intimate uh, with Dawson and other coaches will be important uh, in this pitch to Nolan because obviously he's going to hear from a lot of programs in a short amount of time, and Miami's got to try to stand out uh, amid the bunch. I want to remind you guys that when John Garcia joins us, he's brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to and faster. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash College. Terms and conditions apply. You know, another uh, quarterback who's been in the news the last couple of days, uh, Marcos, I call him Davila. I was trying, I was going through a rabbit hole today and I saw like a local news report in Texas called him Davila. So I don't know if he goes by Davila or Davila. If he comes to Miami, they will yeah, call him Davila. It's he's going to be, it's now. Davila. It's Davila. So, so this uh, player, he's, uh, I think 24 seven has him at three stars. He's a consensus or he's a, uh, what do you call it? A, 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 a four star on the composite, composite four star quarterback out of Midland, Texas. I promised my listeners I'd go in a bit of a Marcos Davila rabbit hole. I did watch some of his footage today. Um, you know, he, he doesn't look like a very mobile guy, but he can move around in the pocket a little bit. Uh, I get the sense that he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but he does like to go deep sometimes. Uh, and, you know, he was a TCU commit decommitted from TCU this week and Miami and Colorado and I'm sure others are schools that are making a strong push for him he plans to visit soon what can you tell me about Marcos Davila yeah I think you hit it right on the head a guy who is kind of on the ascent uh, got got the TCU commitment in December and obviously they've gone to, through some changes as well new offensive coordinator in Kendall Bryles there uh, in Fort Worth uh, Garrett Riley is over at Clemson um, but the good news there in the Davila case is that Clemson looks like they're more in the Aaron Nolan camp than the Davila camp. So right. in that regard, uh, I think Miami's in good shape compared to some other schools in it, Purdue, Colorado, Houston, some of those that are involved uh, right now, even before the, the TCU decommitment, uh, Marcos was planning these visits. So I do think that's important. Um, and I like his skill set, uh, 6'3", 215. So physically he's progressed, uh, you know, compared to a lot of these 2024 quarterbacks that are out there very strong and dominant lower body in his frame so in the pocket it means control and he has a very quick and condensed release to go along with it so while the arm won't set the world on fire the timing the mechanics are very fast thereafter which when you start to think about the air raid starts to make a lot of sense you know Mike Leach won a lot of ball games with a lot of guys who weren't the most physically developed quarterbacks with the biggest and, and brightest uh, arms attached to them. So I think in that regard, Marcos has a, a lot to, to be desired. Um, and then, you know, there's some familiarity with, with Miami. He's a guy who's lifelong quarterback, a bunch of trainers throughout his whole life, like built to be this type of quarterback. And he actually camped at the U 
I think in eighth grade. So oh. I don't know if there's family ties down here. You know, I'll, I'll throw the stereotypical Hispanic connections out. On he, he did well. He did say something about that. Like I remember, he yeah. said that you know it, it would be cool to be down here because of the Hispanic community. So there is something to that, right? Which is why it's not Davila uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think you know that that could be something quite interesting to to focus on, especially relative to the other schools we're talking about here, right? If TCU is all the way out, you know, compared to Colorado, compared to Purdue, Miami offers something a little different personally. So I do think that stuff has to be taken into consideration. These are human beings, right? When you're talking about fit, it goes well beyond the logo and, and the scheme. Although, again, that does seem pretty in line with, with what Marcos does best. Uh, so, yeah, Miami's going to have a fighting chance here. I get the sense that he's not as quick uh, as Nolan is potentially on making a decision now that he's back on the market. I think he takes his time. I think only the Purdue and Miami visits are set. Colorado, Houston, a few other ones are TBD. So that will be interesting to see play out here going forward. So it looks like Nolan's going to try to hit more in short order uh, than Marcos will. So that will be fascinating to look at between the two. But, you know, it's it's wide open right now for Miami in, in 2024 QB recruiting to the point where I was talking to Brian Smith uh, from all hurricanes earlier. Maybe they take two. You know, maybe that this is the class yeah. to look at something like that. Obviously, that was the plan at one point last cycle uh, before things went crazy with, with Jaden Rashada. So uh, that would be fascinating to watch in and of itself. It, we, we often look at these as an either or scenario from, from a quarterback recruiting standpoint, maybe not the case with Miami. So um, Marcos and air uh, respectively, both very much worthy of, of our time. And, and there's some other names on that list too. When you brought up the name Jaden Rashada, you got me thinking because uh, there was some breaking news this afternoon this is the least surprising thing ever. For someone who's a lifelong Miami Hurricane fan going back to the 80s, the fact that Miami has become the first school to receive an NIL infraction from the NCAA, least surprising thing ever. And, and yeah. when John brought up uh, Jaden Rashada, it really reminded me that, okay, so in Jaden Rashada's case, the young man was allegedly offered $13.85 million from the Gator Collective only for them to rug pull that from him. And then somehow Miami, because John Ruiz invited the Cavender twins to his house for dinner, somehow Miami gets the first infraction. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, and maybe there are other ongoing investigations. So there's some bad news and some good news, John, based on what we know about, you know, Miami's involvement in this. First of all, uh, the, the penalties really not very severe. Right. Uh, and I actually, I feel bad that Katie Meyer gets in a little bit of trouble for this because I've, I've known, I've known Katie for 20 years, the women's basketball coach. And like, she would never knowingly violate any rules. And so unfortunately I think that she, you know, she was being held responsible for this. Uh, but you know, there, there's no way she knew that these were violations happening. I, I will stand up for Katie all day, every day. Uh, so Adam Lichtenstein from the Sun Sentinel tweeted hurricanes, women's basketball coach, Katie Meyer violated NCAA rules by facilitating impermissible contact between two prospects and a booster. Those are the Cavender twins and John Ruiz. The hurricanes women's basketball team is put on probation for one year. The program is fined and more. Um, and also, uh, it turns out it's not just the women's basketball team on probation. The Miami Athletic Department is on probation, which doesn't sound good. But then on the flip side of that, John, um, apparently, and, and this was detailed in Miami's statement, because um, so they reached this settlement on this penalty with the NCAA. And according to Miami's statement, 
the entire athletic department was investigated and the only violation that was found was that dinner that the Cabotter twins had at John Ruiz's house where his mistake was posting a picture of that dinner. Don't do that again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Not surprised that Ruiz was attached to this as a target. You know, he's opened himself up to that and he knows that. Uh, So naturally I I do understand why so much attention was, was put into, to that side of the coin. But yeah, if, if the entire department, was investigated, including football, including men's basketball, which were more kind of lightning rod relative to Ruiz at different points uh, in the offseason. I do think that's good news for, for the athletic department as a whole. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it's the NCAA. It's Miami. It, it's nothing is surprising when, when those two get linked up uh, together in any way shape or form uh, but yeah I'm not surprised it started at Miami won't be the last time um, unfortunately but look this is it's the new era right we're all still figuring this thing out and this all this legislation has started to change already with NIL so I do think it's going to be tough for the NCAA to now retroactively make punishments when certain elements of the NIL angle are already changed from when NIL began I believe in July of, of 2021 Less than two years in, so many changes have already happened. So it's going to be hard to go back and retroactively punish uh, at this point. So I do think the slap on the wrist, for lack of a better term, at Miami is some interesting precedent for everybody else. Because I think yeah. it's it's always going to be hard to police, which was all the, the uh, negative attention that NIL has created in that regard. How do you monitor it? I do think this pushes that narrative even more so. Because now how do you punish something that isn't legal or wasn't legal at one point, but is at this point, you know, so I do think that part of it will, will keep it as slippery a slope as, as NIL has been basically from the beginning. So we've made moves and, and there have been rulings, but I don't think much has changed perceptionally with NIL or John Ruiz for that yeah. matter. He's already, he's already kind of uh, shrugging it off publicly as, as one would imagine. And well, and maybe like the lesson to be learned here is just don't post the photo next time. <laughs> it's like, cause I know, cause you know, when you, when you hear and, and John, you and I have both heard these stories over the years about how before the era of NIL, the bags being dropped at people's doors, allegedly and all that. But you know, if, if you work in silence, you know, you, you tend to, you tend to get away with more things. And even in the age of NIL, when you can do a lot of this stuff legally, because it's it's within the rules now, you still have to be careful about the timing and maybe right. don't go out of your way to post the pictures next time. Right. Well, look, <laughs> now, and now that the NIL groups can work with the schools uh, in the state of Florida, you know, this is something that will will create another layer of, of correspondence just to make sure, hey, yeah. this is what's planned. Is this cool? Yes. Oh, okay. This isn't cool. Let me not do it. So, yeah, I, I do think, again, it's something that could have easily been avoided. Uh, but but it's murky, right? All of this yeah. has been murky the entire time. So I, I expect none of it really going forward because now the communication is is totally wide open between the university and, and folks like John Ruiz. So you understand if it's uh, a lot more careful going forward. Well, well done as always, John, and huge thanks to Max for joining us as well. And guys, make sure you follow John Garcia on Twitter at uh, John Garcia underscore junior. Thank you so much for the time, John. And, and by the way, congratulations on being uh, involved in Locked On Buffs, uh, the the new show. Now, and tell, yeah, when when you see uh, what what is his name, uh, Kevin, Kevin Borba. Yeah, when you see Kevin Borba, tell him uh, when he sees Deion Sanders, say uh, he's he's no longer welcome down here in Miami. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll wish Kevin good luck on, on that adventure. Yeah. Well, I try not to bring up Cormani McLean or anything like that here, but yes, it, it will be discussed on Locked on Buffs. So if you're inclined, certainly yeah. check it out. Yeah, and, and, and Ke- Kevin seems like a great dude. I, I've been watching you guys uh, this week, and Kevin Borba does an awesome job. And I want to welcome him to the network because uh, – I don't, but seriously, Kevin, when you see Dion, tell him he's no longer welcome in Miami. That is a new rule. But, you know, keep doing your thing, man. So make sure you guys checked out, check out Locked on Buffs uh, or, you know, <laughs> to, to tell him Dono sent you. And make sure you checked on Lock, check out Locked on College Basketball. Uh, for John Garcia, Jr., I'm Alex Dono. We'll talk to you next time on another episode of Locked on Canes, part of the awesome Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.